Welcome to the Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. This is uh, 8-27-2023. And we're continuing where we left off. Uh, we're going to have, at this point, the thought of the week and prayer. Hey, thought of the week. The title of all of us. The verse says that we all share the same experience when it comes to spiritual death. This will level the playing field and help us understand the content in which we find ourselves. We are all very different, but in many ways, we are also very much alike. We all alike because we share the, we share the foundation of spiritual death with the sympathy ruling over us. As a result of Adam's original sin, take it from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. That sinful nature expresses itself in each of us differently as we use our free will as unbelievers we make decisions according to our fallen nature. The nature dictates to us what decisions are possible and we are we simply choose. If the nature is simple, we can never make decisions from for righteousness. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Take it from Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Because we are spiritual dead at first, we simply cannot understand God or his ways. There is no one who understands. Take it from Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Hey, this situation allows the different to be exploited to many different personalities. What is one display here is not necessarily the free will of man, but the soul depravity of the simple nature expressed to many different personalities. A lot of us don't understand the simple nature is very powerful, and we tend to overlook the simple nature. We only look at ourselves as being righteous. But the Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. We all have to come through this way. Spiritual death requires us to understand that we are dead spiritually at birth. We are here physically, but are dead. But to those who believe in Christ, we aren't because once we believe in Christ, not of work, not of ourselves, we cannot boast about this because Christ owns us. So when it comes to all of us, it means that we all require and we all acquire this simple nature at birth. So therefore, um, once you believe in Christ, you are set aside from this. Once you're in Christ, you are in Christ. There's no way of losing it. Positionally, we can't lose that. But this is what I get out, take it out of the sort of of all of us. So at this time, we have prayer. Do anyone have any special prayer requests they have in their heart? Yeah, Dave. Um, <clears throat> just the Had family and the Presley family. Okay. Well, we have have the Haddon family and the Presley family, also my family, um, also the Myers family, also. The Father, we come to you, Lord, uh, given to us, Father, uh, to you, Lord, that you are uh, 
understand what we're asking you to do, Lord. Father, we're asking you, Lord, to um, to touch upon the family, Father, and because yourself fully required to give it the family that needs you, Lord, at this particular moment. Father, you our you do all want. Father, we're asking you, Lord, to look at us as as a merciful, merciful God, Father, even though we know you're merciful, Father. We ask you to bless us in time and as in all eternity. Father, we come to you, Lord, to look like our pastor. Father, we ask you, Lord, to bless him and his family well. Father, so he can give us a word of truth. Give it to us in all fullness, Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Um, appreciate that. Well, we are at the end of a uh, chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 2, which has been, uh, I would have to just quote from um, Hebrews 11, where it says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. I'd say that is, in one way that is expressed, is as we dig in, we are rewarded with the knowledge of God and, and how these uh these the early church understood this new dispensation and we are blessed in that regard uh we we now know some things in galatians that we hadn't previously said so i would say we've been rewarded so this chapter has been great and i would refer you if you haven't seen it to go back all the information is there it's online, however, whatever you'd like to see. Uh, if you have questions, I'm still here. Please ask. So, uh, but we're going to get right to it. <clears throat> As you know, our time is limited. So we got Galatians chapter 2. I'm just going to quickly go over Galatians 2.20, and then we'll get right to 21. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I, live, I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, we had to go through a lot of theological terms and baptism of the Spirit positionally and experientially and all these different things we talked about. But that baptism of the Spirit, the understanding of what God has done for those who are in this age, I would say is unique. We have a unique, under, not only an understanding, but what God has made of us through the baptism of the Spirit is astounding. It's remarkable. It's, I would just say, phenomenal to think about from our perspective, who we were in Adam to now who we are in Christ. Well, I won't go over all of it, but I would say <clears throat> to understand the experience of the Apostle Paul, how he put into practice what was positionally true of him. So we went back to the verses where what happens to Paul is true of everybody in this particular age since Pentecost. So we know that. However, we went back to those verses to show that they were positional for every one of us. But in, in the verse we're in 2.20, Galatians 2.20, we could see how Paul took that 
position in Christ. And he took it to another level, an experiential level. He said, here's how I can live out what God has done in me while I'm here on the earth. I think it is quite telling some of the things he said. Uh, in order for us to have a life that uh, he describes in this verse, it comes with surrender. Uh, it comes with abandon, an, uh, a sense of abandonment of our position and our way, our right to live. Everybody has a right to live their own life here. And that is true. I, I certainly can't take that away from anyone. I just, only thing I'm responsible over is my decisions in my life. Same thing with the Apostle Paul. But he does show us how to live the mature Christian life. What, what the position eventually turns into experience. Now, of course, we can't experience all of it at this point. That certainly would not be uh, proper for me to say that all of a sudden now we experience everything. No, we don't. There's more to come. And I could easily say much more to come. So crucified with Christ. This is Paul's thinking, how he went through what we call the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now he is... He is helping us understand how that experience is able to be lived in this world. I'm going to skip all the way down to point F, mutual possession. This is, uh, mutual possession is the way Christ taught it. Using his example with the Father, that would be the same for us. I covered a lot of these passages. I won't try to cover again. But the thought of mutual possession and Paul's experience is very similar. So, in other words, when Christ was here and he was trying to convey to the disciples, he said, look, don't you know that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? And Philip says, well, show us the Father. Then we'll be satisfied. That's enough for us. If you just show us the Father. Well, Christ said, uh, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know me? Right. So he was basically helping us understand through those verses that he was experiencing something different that the disciples were not. It was a learning experience for them. And that's the same thing for us. We must learn what is happening on the inside, what the new dynamics of this age bring us with respect to God. So we call that mutual possession. In other words, Christ gave up his life, his presence here. When we say give up your life, we, we could use that in some sense to say, well, we, we might die. But if we die, we're no longer here. That's it. Our life is done. But when we talk about surrendering our life or giving the Father access to us, Father and Christ access to us in this world, so that's another way of surrendering your life. So we have that dynamic. So this, this didn't happen in Israel. So just not even anything to look at there when we talk about such things as mutual possession. So I don't want to spend more time than we already did. I think we did handle these verses. And I just want to point out some highlights so that we don't let this information 
slip by as just common. It is extraordinary that we have the opportunity to allow Christ to possess us in this world, to live through us. I like the scripture in John. Uh, he says, "Because I live," he says, "I'm going away, but because I live, you also will live." And that's the thought. That's the I've renamed the Christian way of life to the Christ way of life because it's not Christian in terms of we're following Christ. It is Him. It is His life that we're living if we are functioning according to the spirit of truth. So this is, this is important stuff, we must say. So uh, point H, faith in the Son of God. This is not saving faith because Paul already was saved. So we're saying that faith, faith always reaches out from us to an object. Now, object, for salvation, faith, we have faith in Christ as the solution the one who has provided uh, atonement for our sins and righteousness so that we can uh, coexist with an eternal God who is righteous. So Christ provides all of those things for us. So our faith reaches out to him for salvation. But after salvation, our faith reaches to the mind of Christ, which does not encompass the mosaic law we're not under the law there's something new what are we talking about this new mystery information which was not revealed to ages past was hid in god but now that information is what we are growing into i like what paul says in first corinthians 2 this is what we speak not in words taught us by human uh, way of thinking but words taught us by the spirit so it, it even gets down to the, the understanding is detailed. It is not in general. Yeah, yeah, we're just in Christ. We just, or just, yeah, we're just saved. Or, or no, He gives us the very nuts and bolts of our spiritual life. What it is all about. So we have it all now. Uh, now, of course, the understanding of it, what follows will be the bounty of it. Right now, we have the understanding. We just don't have the fullness. In any case, so, so faith has that, uh, that direction where we now look to the mind of Christ or the deep things of God, so it says. And then Christ did the same thing. He says he was coming here mission-oriented, and that should be our attitude. We should be mission-oriented. We should, uh, Christ stepped aside and allowed the Father to teach this new way of thinking, uh, the mystery, uh, the Father, what we call the Father's eternal purpose. He stepped aside and allowed that to be uh, manifested through him. And that in and of itself is unique, the fact that what he did. But now he says that whole relationship that I have with the Father is going to be parlayed to you, right? So you now will have, me and the Father, he says, will be in you. And we'll, we'll talk, we've talked about it. We've covered it. I can't cover it all again. So we're going right, we're going to just, I just wanted to point out a couple things and that understanding in the previous verse. But now we're into point number 10, which is Galatians 2.21. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's talk about it. So hopefully you have not lost sight of the context that we have developed in this chapter and what happened and Paul and Barnabas went to uh, went to the Galatians and remember there was this whole thing with the Jews they thought we were still under the Mosaic law and there was this whole thing played out it would be interesting if we didn't have this information how would we what would we have done so God he he was detailed enough to allow us to see the foibles, the idiosyncrasies, the personalities of these apostles to see how and where they erred and, and how God righted the ship in those early days. And we get to see it. We get to talk about it and discuss it because God the Holy Spirit thought that it would be appropriate for us to have this information available to us because we are still in, still dealing with it today. We still have people who think that the Mosaic Law is the way of life or some part of it. And I can grab some part of the Mosaic Law and still I could be relevant, you know. But no, 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 no. That that we, That's not anything new. That's something old as we're discovering. And this, this argument was already put forward and God testified to it by the book of Galatians that no, this is not the direction of the church. We do not go this route. At the highest levels, of a, in, 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 in the hierarchy of the church, we have apostles. Well, Christ is the, the hierarchy. But we have, under Christ, we have these apostles. And these apostles... We are seeing that Paul had to correct, confront, rebuke another apostle. A high, we're talking about controversy at the highest level of the church. And why would God put that out there? He's not airing his dirty laundry, so to speak. He's doing that so that we don't fall in the same pathways as these people did. We know what is the correct way to walk. I think that is love. That is ultimate care over us to say, look, I care about your walk. I care about what you're doing and how the quality of the life that you're living here. I do. So it is important. So let's look. So if he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. Righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. So let's look at this. Point A, what, what does it mean to set aside the grace of God? Let's just try to understand this verse. Two thoughts come to mind. One is the context. We, got, we already know the context. Even though Peter and the other Jews knew better, we, we have in the context that they knew better. It wasn't like, well, let's think about this question. Should we do it? Or should, When Peter separated himself from the Gentiles, when he saw the Judaizers or the, those who were of the circumcision group coming, and he, you know, the old anxiety for him was the Mosaic Law, and he says, oh my gosh, we got to separate from, I can't let them people see me consorting with Gentiles, so let me separate. So, and then that 
snowballed to the point where even Barnabas was led astray. So it just shows you how insidious and how these, you know, this reverence for religion and religious people, it was so strong that even Barnabas, who was Paul's partner, who understood grace, you would think in all of his various forms, even Barnabas was led astray. Paul said, no, 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 we can't let this go. We've got to, we've got to straighten this out. And that's what we have in the latter part of Galatians 2. So the context, even though Peter and the other Jews knew better, and they weren't really Jews, right? We, we know there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ, but there are cultural people who came from that background. Certainly, we can talk about them. They knew better. They knew that that wasn't the right way. They still caved into the traditional behavior of the law and separated from the Gentiles. So Paul is saying here in verse 21, basically you're setting aside the grace of God. And he already gave a lot of excellent arguments as to why you shouldn't be doing that or that's not possible. He already did that. So what is he doing now? He's describing to us that this behavior. If you could maintain your righteousness before God, then we don't need Christ. What do we need him for? If, if, if that is possible, and remember, we call this the big lie. I know I'm taking this from politics that are going on today, but I'm not talking about the politics going on today. I'm talking about the big lie that you could be righteous by observance of the law. Right? The Jews thought that by their observing the law, they could be righteous. Now, when you think about it, it's not a one-shot deal, right? So you, you might say, wow, today I did a good, everything I did today was perfect. I did it, everything, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. I feel like that. But that's not good enough when it comes to being justified by the works of the law. What about tomorrow and the next day? And really, you're only really talking about your opinion of yourself, not God's. Because God already told us what his opinion is. There is none righteous, not even one. So there is no justification before God through keeping some requirements or laws. The law was given to us, as we know, to point out that we need some a savior, as we, we talked about earlier in Genesis, like the seed of the woman. We need a solution to the problem that we have from Adam. <clears throat> so that's the, the first point. It means two things. It makes me think of, I'm sure there's more to think about, lots more. Point number two, application. Okay, so that was the context. The application is because of the overwhelming popularity of human reasoning. Grace is discarded and branded as antinomianism. Religion is normalized instead of grace. Hopefully you understand where I'm coming from when I say this. I hope you, you understand. It is important that you understand where I'm coming from as it relates to this information. Because... Right, we can we can see that grace today is has a bad name. Right, it's a black eye. People look at grace, and they don't understand it. They don't understand how God could justify us forever, 
justification is not like temporary, it's forever. So people say, well, if, if, if you're justified forever, that means you, you don't have to worry about it. You're done. That's, you're always going to be approved before God. That doesn't lend to you being obedient. What's the motivation for you to be obedient? That's what they'll say. That's why they charge. Ah, so you're saying once saved, always saved. Antinomianism is what they, say, they would say. That's lawless. So, so what is the order of the day? People, instead of God's word, which God has ways to help us understand, God has his own proper motivation. But what they have done is said, well, well, we'll come up with our own motivation and it will be the law. If that'll keep people in line, that'll police people. That is not what God's goal is. Look, this is like we're born into the world. So when we're saved, you, you can't be unsaved, you, just like you can't be unborn. Either you're here or you're not here, as Shakespeare said. To be or not to be, <laughs> that's the question. Well, if you're here, then you're born. Okay, then that means you've got life. God has given you life. So let me read that again. Because of the overwhelming popularity of human reasoning, grace is discarded and branded as antinomianism. Religion is normalized instead of grace. So notice, <laughs> grace is what the word of God says. It says that salvation is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It says that it is not even by works done in righteousness. It's free, absolutely unencumbered, uncomplicated with works. It is absolutely free. And you can receive it as a, you have to receive it as a, a gift. Point B, let's keep going. Grace is God's way. It is his way. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. So this is one way to say that God's, he, he, I'm glad when we think about his intelligence, his way of doing things. He has a method to this, right? Well, we might look at the world and say, oh, this is just out of order. There's just so many things going on, people making decisions, and everybody put it all together. It's a mess. God does not see it that way. There's order in this, and God has a plan that he is working out through all of this. So don't see this as, wow, this is chaos, and this is, you know, the reason why there is no God, because there's so much chaos. No! God is saying, I, I have a plan for this. Take some time for you to think about it, and you'll understand it. But he definitely has a way. And we could understand that, that his ways or his thoughts are not our thoughts. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We're born with a sin nature, unrighteous. So all of that affects our way of thinking. So don't think we're, we're thinking correctly just because it makes sense to us. And if you've lived, and especially if you've traveled in this world, and you go to another country or somewhere, and, and they do things differently than you do them where you live, and you question, you say, first you might say, I don't know, that's, that's kind of dumb for them to do things the way they're doing. Why are they doing it that way, right? But then, as you look at things and see the context of why they do it and, and all of that, then guess what you say? Ah, I understand it. Yeah, it makes more sense now. Right? But before, it didn't make any sense. 
right? But now that you've stopped to learn why they do it, oh, so oh, they have the weather's over here like this, this is why they have to do it this way, and so forth and so on. So when it comes to that, we have to look at God and say, look, his thoughts and ways are not our thoughts and ways. This is, this is Isaiah telling us this information. This is the scripture. And I'm just making the point <coughs> that grace is God's way. This is his way of, of doing things, of proceeding, of how, <coughs> how we are to receive salvation and how to live the life that he has uh, has given us the opportunity we have to live the life point c let's move forward so we need god's solution to the problem of righteousness we 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 can't do this on our own it's not something we have within ourselves so we have to look outside of ourselves to someone else we call that faith faith means we look and, and who are we looking at when we have faith we're looking at god and his word his word is where we latch on. So here's a good example, right? By faith, we understand that the universe was created at the command of God. That's Hebrews 11, right? So by faith, how do we... So by faith, we put our faith in the word of God, which tells us that God created all things. But it helps us understand that we are depending, trusting, and relying on God, that his information, of what he's telling us, is reliable it's true and so there's evidence for that obviously we can see the created universe and the world and all the complexity there is in the world so yeah so when we think about God and his solution right we think faith right faith helps us understand things so so we need God's solution to the problem of righteousness. We covered this in detail. Why we need righteousness, how important it is. Maybe not to us. We might we might look at this and say, Well, I'm pretty good and so and so over there is pretty good and I think we're fine. In fact we we're willing to associate associate ourselves with people who have like righteousness as we do, right? So there are certain things people we would not want to associate with because they have a level of standard that we do not accept. We don't want things like that going on around us. So we said, no, no, we separate ourselves. So, but that doesn't mean that our righteousness isn't somehow pleasing to God. So that's what we have to consider, God's righteousness. So God has solved this problem as we have covered in detail. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel here. But we need God's solution to the problem of righteousness. We, why? we can't, we don't have any power of ourselves to, to solve the problem. Christ's imputed righteousness is our standing before God. And of course, this is by grace. Now, we, we, we could read Romans 3, 22 and 20 to 24. Why don't we read it just as a basis of our understanding? I know you know what these verses we have read them enough, but 22, this righteousness, so so this is not the righteousness of man, this, this is the righteousness of God. Earlier it tells us there is none righteous, not even one, but there is a righteousness that 
satisfies the deficient righteousness that we have as human beings. And this righteousness, how do we get it? Is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, you know, we didn't earn the unrighteousness either. <clears throat> we didn't work our way into being unrighteous. That came as a result of Adam. What did we do to earn that? Nothing. We were born into that. So, so, but this righteousness that we're talking about is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There it is. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So Jews thought you had to maintain this law, right? You could fall, but then you have to beg God for forgiveness and repent of your sins and feel sorry and do all these things and go back and make contrition and all this stuff, right? So, so God is saying, no, once you're justified, once you get this righteousness, once God imputes it to you, and you don't, you no longer need a, a different standing before God. This is your standing. It never can change. It's perfect because the righteousness is what God accepts. And He says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So the Jews thought, wow, you know, we got the law. Gentiles don't. So since Gentiles don't have law, how can they be righteous by doing what the law says? Well, obviously, this righteousness doesn't have anything to do with the law. And a Gentile who doesn't even have the law can be justified in the same manner as all they have to do is believe in Christ. There it is. We call that imputed righteousness. God just, it's like an accounting term. He debits your account with righteousness or credits. I'm not good at accounting. Whichever one is the positive, he gives to you. Right? And that is the perspective. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. Can you imagine that's a smack in the face to people who were working hard to get this righteousness? A smack in the face to say that a Gentile can have it and they didn't do anything. And look at, look at their lives. They're disgusting. And now... You're telling me they can be saved? They can have this imputed righteousness? The answer is absolutely yes. How do they get it? By just simply believing in Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Adam, right? When did we all sin? When Adam sinned. We can't even say all sin because all haven't even been born yet. So what is that verse in, uh, in um, 5.12? Therefore... Sin into the world through one man and and death through sin. And in this way, and this is how it all worked, all sin. That's how all sin, through that one man's trespass. 24, and all are justified freely by the, his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, so not only do we receive this righteousness, but God justifies us forever. Because we've already met the standard. We, there's no, nothing more to meet once we have this imputed righteousness. Right? So, so we're, we're digging into this a little bit better, I hope. I hope you're seeing, you see that that's where we are. Right? That imputed righteousness is our standing before God. It doesn't deteriorate. It doesn't have anything to do with sin. Remember, Christ was judged for every sin you would ever commit. There are no exceptions. And... Your sins were never counted to you anyway. They were counted to Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says so. Point D. The law was given to show our sinful, unrighteous condition. 
never as a means of justification. Oh, just please, if we could just, maybe I should have made this point bold because people see the law and automatically get busy trying to say, well, if I do that, I will be pleasing to God. No, you won't. The law came in to show you you're unrighteous, you're sinful, you're dead to God, you're condemned, this is God's judgment about you. All of that is to say that we don't please God in terms of righteousness. We're disgusting. If I could read some of the scripture here, Romans 3, 19 and 20, since I'm already in Romans 3, I might as well. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, the law is like a mirror. Right? You can't tell uh, what's going on. Uh, you need a mirror. Can you imagine women putting on makeup without a mirror? Does that happen? Yeah, I, I would imagine to some degree, but usually they have a little mirror in their purse and they pull that out so they can see what they're doing, right? If, if not, it'd be a mess. But you need something to tell you what's going on. Well, how do we know that all of these things are true of us? We're sinners, born in sin. We're spiritually dead. We're condemned by God. What are we getting? Where, how do we get all this information? God, the Holy Spirit, witnesses to us. That's one way. But another way that God began to reveal to us is the law. That's what it was for, that part of it. So then Romans 5, 20 through 21. Let me look at our time. Okay, we're okay. 5, 20 through 20, 21. It says the law was brought in. There it is. It wasn't always there. Between Adam and Moses, there was no law. Right? Scripture says so in the earlier verses in 14 and so forth. There was no law between Adam and Moses. He's, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. In other words, we need to see it. We need to magnify the sin. Now, what's the trespass? Is it your particular sin that he's talking about? No, <laughs> it's not your particular sin. It's Adam's. And the result of what Adam did is why we are the way we are. Right? So if we go to 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. 18, consequently, just as the trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. 19, for through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Right? We could go on and talk about what Christ brought in those verses. But the law was brought in so that the trespass that we just read about what happened to Adam might increase, might be magnified, manifest, so everybody can see it. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So there's, even though <clears throat> it may be magnified, and boy, it's just like looking at the car mirrors, where it says <clears throat> objects in the mirror may appear to be closer than the mirror is really telling you, or whatever, but you get to see who we are in Adam. Because the results of Adam are true of us. 
So the law is brought in. And that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is called, the law is called the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of death. It helps us understand these things about ourselves that we might not have already or previously known. So 20, law is brought in and trespass might increase. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Point E, imputed righteousness is not experienced upon receipt. In other words, once you believe in Christ and you receive this imputed righteousness, it's not experienced. You don't know it. It, it is learned, right? You have to learn. Somebody has to sit here, just like we're doing today, and teach you from the scriptures that, yeah, this happened. When The moment you believed in Christ, this happened. Or we could go to Romans 5, uh, 21. Uh, just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign. Through. You wouldn't know any of that until you learn it. So this is, people think, once you get this imputed righteousness, all of a sudden now you get this rosy glow. and Oh, my life is all somehow, somehow changed. And I'm walking, but really my feet are not touching the ground. And I'm just so overwhelmed with happiness and joy. No. You can't feel imputed righteousness. It's not experienced. It's learned. So once we learn what God has done so that he can declare us justified, it is clearly a part of what Christ has done for us. So God is the one who imputes righteousness. So there's nothing to prove to him. So we don't have to tell God, God, look, 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 check me out. I'm, I'm doing what you said do, right? I'm righteous, right? God, you, you want me to do what's right, right? Um, you see me you see me over here working, God, so you know I'm doing right. right? God said, you don't have to prove to me. I already imputed the righteousness to you and you are righteous. Even if you, you don't feel like it. You don't know it. You're still involved in whatever you were involved in the moment before you received the righteousness. You got the righteousness. You don't have to prove to God you're righteous. He already knows. He's the one who imputed the righteousness to you. So don't think about it like, well, now that I have God's righteousness, I'm a new person. I have to do things. And you are new. Things have changed. However, they are not experienced. You don't know it. You have to learn it. That's why in the Christian life, it is important for us to learn. It is more important. I know people want to rejoice like the rapture already happened, but that's not the case. God has a plan for you to do things down here. So don't, it's not just about rejoicing the whole time. You, there are things that God, God has a plan, and he wants you to participate in that plan. So think about it. Point F, let's settle the matter, okay? Because believe me, this you, you may not realize it, but this is a huge matter in the Christian world today. Let's settle this matter. Receiving righteousness is by grace, as we already read Romans 3.24. And also, <clears throat> you should know, and if it is by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, Grace would no longer be grace. This is one of those verses, Romans eleven six. This is one of those verses like the one we're in now. If righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's, that's what the type of verse this is. 
that he's saying here that if you add works to a grace salvation or the principle of grace you destroy that principle because it's no longer God's way earlier I said grace is God's way point B right it may not be our thoughts but it's his and that's what we have to pay attention to it's his way of thinking not ours so much so this is what we're learning so point G point G whatever benefits there may be from being moral and this is listen religion I know maybe maybe some of them had good intentions to be religious and to try to prove that they are somehow good and that God you ought to respect me and I'm sincere don't you see me I'm learn I'm doing all this stuff right but really here, here's this point here whatever benefits there may be from being moral obedient or keeping the law God will not acknowledge it by saving or justifying us because of it. And what am I doing quoting Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 again, right? His rights, all our righteousness is filthy rags. His ways are not our ways. All that is true. As, his, as the heavens are higher than earth, so are his ways and thoughts higher than ours. Isaiah 64 talks about all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. So... <clears throat> Listen, I'm not saying there's no benefit from being moral in this world. I, I'm not saying that. In fact, I think it's a good thing that we should be moral and obedient. Not to the Mosaic Law. We, I'm not suggesting we are obedient to the Mosaic Law. But obedient to God, through Christ, who is our Lord. We should be obedient. We're not keeping the law. That's not going to help us in this age. Remember, we're not under the law. God does not expect you to keep the Mosaic Law. And God wouldn't, so he's not going to save us because we're moral or obedient or something. We, he already told us we're not. So why should we try to prove to him that we can be? That would be trying to prove him out to be a liar. So I'm not saying there are no benefits to being moral or obedient, right? Or doing the right thing. I do believe that those things have value, but not eternal value when it comes to salvation. So being moral, listen, I don't even want to hang around people who are immoral. I don't, when I pick, if I had to say, well, who's my friends or who, let me pick people who I would want to associate with. I don't want to pick people who are immoral. Now, I, listen, I, I, I maybe have been immoral at times in the past. I grew up and done things that I'm ashamed of or, you know, I get that. What I'm saying is, I know there's value in that, but not eternal value. That's how we have to separate that out. God's ways are different than our ways. His thinking is different. So yes, we can choose the way we want to live our lives. It is within our purview to choose whatever we want when it comes to how we, go, we are going to live our lives. However... God is saying, consider what I'm also telling you when it comes to this life. Consider this. right? We, we could throw opinions back and forth at each other and say, yeah, this is what you think. Oh, well, what do I think? Oh, what does the other one think over there? What? But let me tell you, this is what God thinks. Now, how do we know? Because it's in his word. This is the Bible, right? You may say, well, I don't believe that's the Bible. That's fine. You could believe that. 
if you want. It'd be like somebody saying, well, let me tell you my opinion. And you say, I don't believe your opinion. Well, I liked my opinion better. You have a right. However, my thought would be, hear God. Because he's our creator. And whether you know it, I'm not saying that because he's our creator, it takes away your rights of making your choices. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, why not hear him out? Listen to him. See what he has to say. Right? So this is his way of saving us, and uh, you know, and either you believe it or not. But you know, this is this is the thought when we are dealing with issues such as this. If if we set aside, uh, if we do, if I, Paul is saying, I won't set aside the grace of God. If righteousness could be gained through keeping the law, Christ died for nothing. It's an important matter to God. If he's going to that extreme to tell you this, point H, the only solution, according to God, is receive the imputation of God's righteousness by grace. That, that can only come through Christ, through believing in him. We already read it in Romans 3. And then let him teach us his plan and how to be obedient. Remember, you know, I, I think I was talking to Bill the other day. I said, how's it going, man? He said, I told him I was going to use this as an analogy. I hope he doesn't mind. But I said, how's it going? He says, man, I'm having a rough time. He says, some people, they work, that are working for me. He says, they're working hard, but they're just, like, they're just not doing what I need them to do. I said, well, it's kind of worthless when you think about it, right? I said, what a perfect analogy. A lot of Christians, are so-called, are out here, they're working hard. They think they're doing a great service to God. You know, they think they're, they're, they're busy doing everything they know how to do. But they're doing everything but listening to God. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have the plan. right? They don't know what, know what the overall plan is. They need to stop, look at what the overall plan is, and then see how they can fit in or contribute to it. You don't want somebody on your job who doesn't understand what the plan is. You want everybody to be on the same page so that everybody's working in concert according to the goal. Point, point I. Why can't righteousness be gained through the law? Why not? Why, is there, why can't we? Because of the sinful nature. That's why. That's the answer. Some people might say, well, I don't believe we have a sin nature. Again, you have that right to believe that. However, the results are in. As kids, if you have any kids and you see babies growing up, nobody has to teach them right what's bad. In fact, when, when if a bad word is said around the baby, and you might have been trying to train that baby to say, hey, thank you, please, this, that. As soon as that bad word comes, man, the, that kid's eyes light up. <laughs> Something you ain't, you've never seen before. And all of a sudden, that word comes freely out of their mouths. <laughs> they were happy to say it like expressing the sin nature. Just, just like David says, just like sparks fly up from a fire, so is the sinner. As soon as they're born, they go astray. That's part of what happened with Adam. Now, you don't see the evidence of it? I see the evidence of it. We can't be 
righteous because of how we were born. I'm going to go to Romans 3. Just, I don't know if you've ever considered these verses. We've got to read them. Verses 12 through 18. Romans 3, 12 through 18. Now, why would we have this in the Bible? Right after it says there's no one who's righteous, no one who is good, no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, not even one. Right? He's talking about the human race. If you go back to 9, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Not some. Even those who have the law. He's talking about all of us. All of us. This is what the thought of the week starts with. All of us. Look at verse 12. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. What do we mean? If somebody said, what do you mean? What do you mean nobody does good? I know people who do good. Well, what does God mean when he says this? He's going to give us some analogies. And the shoe might not fit on every one of these analogies for you. You're going to say, I don't do that. I don't do this. But listen, the nature to do all of this is in you. Okay, just remember that. So let's see what God says. He's describing it in colorful terms so that we can understand that one... He is not for us when we're in this state. And in this state, there's no good that we can do. None. Let's keep reading. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't care about God. What, God who? What's his last name? We don't care about him. No fear of God. No, Don't care about what God has to say. God less. So God is saying, this is not my words. These are God's words, metaphorically speaking, about why there's none righteous. Not even one. Because this is the state of being of the human race in Adam. That's why. Hope you get it. Because when you try to bring your righteousness to God and say, well, God, you see what I did? You ought to save me. I'm a good, I'm one of the good ones, God. No, God's going to say, no. <laughs> Let me tell you, all of you are full of wickedness and full of bitterness. And there's no peace, nothing. And that's God's view of you. Let's keep it moving. Point J. Point J. If we can be righteous through the law, then we don't need the provision of Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is very key to this scripture, so I must turn to it. It says that God made him, and who's him in the context here? Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us. Right? Christ wasn't a sinner, but by our sins being imputed to him for judgment, he made him sin. He made Christ responsible for your sins. Uh, you get that from 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here it is, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed, committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, God took the responsibilities, the responsibility for our sinfulness. We were born with a sin nature. God handled it through Christ. 
He made him <clears throat> responsible. Christ had to be, bear the judgment of our sins, not us. So this is what it says. He, 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 he did not have any sin. In other words, he wasn't a sinner to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, of course, that comes upon believing in Christ, just like we read in Romans 3. Right. So, so there you have the exchange. God took our sinfulness. He took the responsibility for what happened to us because of Adam's one trespass. He took that responsibility. And in turn, he gives us the righteousness of God. Whose righteousness is that? The righteousness of Christ that God approves. That's the only one. He's the only one God approves. Not you, not me, the rest of us. And there is none righteous, not even one. Except for Christ, who lived a life above sin. He never sinned. So this is why this point is, is key. right? We can't be righteous through the law when the law is the very thing that God put in place to show us that we were unrighteous. <laughs> so how do we turn that around? What arrogance to turn that around to something that now is a, something we can boast about. Well, like Paul said, uh, Saul, the, the Pharisee says, well, as far as the law is concerned, <clears throat> I'm blameless. That's what he said. He, he turned the law into a boast. What arrogance there was in that statement. So point K, we're moving forward. The purpose of the law. Right? So the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We already read 520. So the Jews, uh, and when they got the Mosaic Law, and they twisted it through arrogance, and instead of the substitutionary work of Christ, who was represented as the lamb or the bull and all the different things that God used in the sanctuary services. Instead of them focusing and believing in that God was going to bring a substitute for them, just like we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, they said, no, we got this law. And this law can, can make us righteous before God. And they perpetuated that through generations. The Jews did. That's why it says that they were resisting the Holy Spirit in the way they conducted themselves. So, <clears throat> in all of this, right, when we say the purpose of the law, we understand what the purpose... We can't be righteous by the very instrument that's telling us that we're sinful. It will not work. Right? Just so keep that in mind. So, K, that was the purpose of the law. I, we're almost done. Many are more impressed with what they can do for God. What do we mean, right? Of course, our arrogance is bolstered when we do something. We say, look what we did. Man, I've, nobody has done it as good as I have. I am somebody. I am good. I, God, you see me? I'm working. right? So by keeping the law, people, that's how, they're more impressed what they can do for God. This is what they're saying. There's a verse in... Uh, John 16 that says, watch out, those religious people will kill you because they, and they're, they're doing it because they think they're doing a service to God. So this is wrong thinking. 
And their obsession with the law has carried over into the Christian church today. And people think that this is the way we stay right with God. If we don't keep the law, we're not obedient, we're not moral. And they say, oh, you're probably not saved when salvation is free. So it's a contradiction that can never be resolved because we're talking about two different things here. So many are more impressed with what they can do for God, meaning keeping the law. That's how they are fixed, because arrogance. We should be more impressed with what God has done through his Christ on our behalf. The only way we're going to know what he did is to renew our minds, like it says in Romans 12, too. That's it. There's no other way. We have to sit down with the discipline of learning to allow God to teach us. Because we don't know. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. He's got to teach us what his ways and thoughts are. That's the only hope was, one, to believe in Christ, and then to allow God to teach us who we are and what's important to him. Point M, last thought. So it is the thought, right? This is this, When you look at this verse where Paul is saying that if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now first, one of the things I would say is the fact that God went to this extreme by judging all of our sins in Christ. And the, 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 the plan of salvation is very distinct in terms of the God, God's way and how you have to receive it, especially important. You can't monkey around with that. God is saying, this is important to me. And if, if you think there's some reason that you can come up with a way that is somehow going to satisfy God and Christ doesn't have to die, God is saying, I've already explored all of those options. None of them are viable. And Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane saying that very same thing. He says, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Please remove it. If not, then let your will be done. Your will be done. He says this three times, which is intensity. So we know what happened. Christ went to the cross. There is no other way of salvation in this world. And the fact that Everybody receives all of this at birth, the spiritual death, condemnation, sin nature. Right? All of this is received because of what Adam did. God is funneling all humanity to be saved the exact same way and to, to come through one way of salvation, and that is through the work of Christ on our behalf. So let me say the thought is revolting that people would try to supplant the law, that people would prefer to do what they think is more important to God than what God himself has told you. When you sidestep what God thinks and you think, oh, let me serve God the way I want to do it, he's going to respect me, right? That's what we call religion. Listen to what God is telling us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the learning, the discipline that you need to stop and consider what God is saying. He's saying, if you do that, if you do what religion is telling you to do, Christ died for nothing. That is repulsive to say. 
that he died in vain for no good purpose, no good reason. We could still we could have come up with a with a solution for all of this ourselves. We didn't need Christ. We didn't need saving. We didn't need a savior. It's repulsive. As I say, let me say with the apostle Paul, God forbid. May it never be. Away with that thought. Remove that thought from your mind. We need Christ. We need the provisions that he brought. We depend, trust, and rely on him for our lives. We're done with the thought. I'm sure there are many thoughts that we could have beyond this. And I look forward to having them with you. And we will certainly, uh, on -on one-on-one basis, whatever questions you may have, whatever thoughts, bring them to me, please. I'd love to go down this road and talk about it. These are uh, uh, directional thoughts that help us know which is the Christ way of life. And all the voices that are out there today in the world, God has given us clear direction, clear insight as to not only here's the way to walk, but let me tell you why you need to do it this way. Let me explain to you why it's important for you to go and receive this in just the way I'm telling you. So we're going to have to quit, but there's so much more information out there on the web, so don't feel as though you don't have any place to go or no instruction. There are plenty out here. Wordistruth.com. We will continue as we close. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We, we appreciate your grace. We appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ and the thought of not having him, not having his provisions for us is repulsive. We thank you for We are appreciative. We recognize it is a priceless gift that has been given to us through the work of Christ. And this shows that you love us, just like it says in John 3, 16, for you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We thank you for that provision. We thank you for the way of salvation, which is so clear to us. We thank you for Christ. And we pray for Word is Truth Christian Church as we launch into this new area of exposure and allowing the spirit to continue to guide and lead us to share these things more publicly to bless our efforts that you would empower us give us wisdom in this area so that we will fulfill your purpose while we are here in this world we thank you for those who are here and those who have listened those who have been a part of Word is Truth. We continue as Word is Truth. However, we are moving into a new phase. We pray for your wisdom, Father, as we step out. We don't, we don't know exactly where this will lead us, but we know you are leading ahead of us. And we're, we're going to trust your will. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.